0: In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I wonder how many of us have images of Jesus being angry. Right? Most of our images of Jesus are like those depicted in our stained glass here at the church. Right? Maybe we see Christ as a tender shepherd, he kindly and gently carries lambs back to the fold. Or maybe we see Jesus as the one who is deeply connected to the father in prayer we know that he is holy and good and set apart the Gospels however show us an occasional glimpse of Jesus angry in fact angry like a lion a lion who in his goodness uses his holiness and his strength to protect his people and so I had never really noticed until I began to sit down and study our gospel lesson for this morning but Jesus is angry in our story. More than angry, he's furious, he's indignant. So Mary says to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then she weeps. And then the Jews who had been contentious with Jesus throughout the gospel weep with her. And the translation says, Jesus' response was, Jesus was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. The Greek verb in our translation, which our translation uses as greatly disturbed, it unquestionably means angry. It means indignant. In classical Greek, the word is used for a horse snorting as it prepares for battle. It was a fighting word. And then we get the verb deeply moved after that, which means troubled. And we see it again in verse 38. It says again that Jesus is greatly disturbed. He's coming to the tomb of Lazarus greatly disturbed but he's coming to the tomb of Lazarus angry and that gives us a clue as to why Jesus is angry in this story it's not so much that he's angry at Mary for her questions about his timing he's not angry at the Jews here he's not angry at himself it appears that Jesus is angry as one who knows the final enemy he must defeat is before him death in fact, the reformer John Calvin writes, Christ does not come to the tomb as an idle spectator here, but like a wrestler preparing for the contest. Therefore, no wonder that he groans for the, viol- the violent tyranny of death that he had to overcome stands before his eyes. Yes, Jesus is angry in this story. And Jesus is preparing for the war that's coming. And bringing up Lazarus from the tomb It's just the initial battle in this war. It's the initial battle of Jesus' defeat of his final enemy, which is death. And so the war was won on the cross. And we know that this is validated on Easter Sunday with the resurrection. And we now await in faith together the final destruction of this enemy that Christ has defeated. We await together because Christ has defeated death. So in theology, we have often used two different terms to describe the church. We talk about the church militant, that is, the church all of us currently living on earth, who are fighting the good fight for the sake of the gospel. But then we have the church triumphant, which is who we also remember on All Saints Day. And these are the saints who have fought their fight and now rest in the triumph of Jesus over death. And so All Saints Day is connected to Easter, It acknowledges that, in fact, the creator of all the living has won. He has looked his enemy in the face, and he has overcome it. He has looked at that which cast a shadow on the goodness of his creation, and he has said, enough. And so today, of all days, we celebrate the victory of Christ over death. But we also celebrate the saints who held on to this hope and faith and who now live in the presence of Christ. Because it takes great faith to live in this world, believing that Jesus has overcome death. As we know, death and illness and sorrow, it casts a shadow on everything. But in light of that shadow, we remember that death is the enemy of God. And God has both promised that our physical death in this world, that is a gate to eternal life, but he's also promising us that death will soon be no more we sang this morning for all the saints who from their labors rest to thee by faith before the world confessed thy name O jesus be forever blessed thou was their rock their fortress and their might thou lord their captain in a well-fought fight thou in the darkness drear their one true light i love those images the images we know of god is rock fortress might all familiar ways of describing God in the Bible. For example, Psalm 62 says, God alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, I will not be shaken. But these images point to God's unchanging nature. They help us to confess that God is a bulwark never failing. He's always present in our time of need, always merciful. But more than that, his promises are always short. On All Saints Day, we remember that God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, makes us a sure promise, just as he did for the saints of old, the saints throughout all history, who clung to this one promise. As children, we learn the stories so familiar to us of Noah and the ark, the deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt, David over Goliath, Daniel's rescue from the lion den, and so on. And these stories are rich in detail, and they're memorable, and we latch on to them as children. But as we grow up, we see these stories in a bigger picture. We see them as God's love for his people, including us. And we see saints that clung to God's surety and his promises. Right? As their rock, God was the one all of these saints could hold on to. They knew that his word was sure. They knew his promises were good. And so just as he has always been his people's rock, so God is our rock today. We remember the promises of God are steady. They will not change. But today, of all days, we remember the most important promise of God that we hold on to, that we, like Lazarus, will be raised from the dead. We will be brought out of our tombs. Graves will be opened, and we will have a new life, a new body, and so we see that God was angry. And God was angry because he hated the suffering and death of his creation. And he declared that he is bringing it to an end. One theologian says that when Jesus stood outside the tomb and shouted, Lazarus, come forth, that it was a roar heard around the world. It was the roar of a lion who had enough. We put our faith then in, in Jesus who has had enough. He has had en- enough of death. We put our faith in God, who is going to do something about the tears of this world. And our faith is not just a belief in the supernatural, but our faith accepts as a current reality what God has promised to us. Our faith lives in trusting in things announced which we don't currently see. And our faith is that Jesus, who has defeated his enemy, will say our name and tell us to come forth from the grave as Christ has said Lazarus come forth so we have faith that he too will say Ryan come forth Christian come forth the Saints who now may make up the church triumphant teach us that the life of the Christian is about this faith it's about holding on to promises which we don't yet see but we will know soon for sure it's the promise that God is making all things new it's the promise that he will wipe away all tears. It's the promise that there will no longer be mourning and grief. All of these things are passing away. They're passing away because he has defeated them. He has not tolerated them. Instead, he has promised that we will live in his presence forever. He, the one who loves life, who loves joy, who loves all things good has promised us that we will be with him for eternity he is the one who's the source of all our hope and all of our joy and that's the promise we hold to on this Sunday that we will feast in the house of the one who took on death himself so that we will have life amen